You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. And I don't know if there's anything I enjoy more in North Carolina in the springtime than some golf. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Four hours of no phone calls. Four hours of no deadlines. Four hours of no chores from my wife, Glory. Glory. Um, I like golf, but there's one problem. Golf doesn't like me. Um, I can go to the golf course, and, and, and as I'm driving there, as I walk to the course, as I'm about to go out and, and start to play, in my mind, I feel like Sergio Garcia. How many of you guys know who Sergio Right? I even look like the man. I mean, it's, re- it's ridiculous. What a good-looking guy. I look just like him. Um, Oh, no, you didn't. It's Easter, Kurt. Come on, man. So no matter how good I might feel, no matter how much practice I have, no matter my best intentions or my greatest effort, what I have found about golf, you might want to duck, sir, (laughs) is... I tend to miss the mark. I tend to miss my shot. And I can practice all day long. I can play all day long. And time after time after time after time, no matter, again, my best intentions, my hardest efforts, I miss the, I miss the shot. You know what's great about sports? And I wasn't the first one to say this. Um, someone much smarter than me said this, is that sports imitate life. Doesn't it? Because I don't know you this morning, so um, I'll just talk about me, okay? In life, despite my hardest efforts, my best intentions, I find that I still miss my shot sometimes. How many of you are with me? I find that no matter how much I want to make that shot, it doesn't happen. But you know what happened? Easter happened. The resurrection happened. And because of the resurrection, because of Easter, because of the empty tomb, God tells us, demonstrates to us that he is the God of second chances. That even though we might miss a shot in life, even though we fall short of the glory of God, grace has come because the tomb is empty. So no matter how many times I shoot and miss, no matter how many times I strike out, no matter what I do, God is the God of grace. Grace has become powerful. And power has entered into your life. Why? Because Jesus is power. The resurrection is power. And the resurrection isn't just power, but the resurrection is truth. The resurrection is real. The resurrection is the day that we are here, or why we are here today, to celebrate the goodness of the empty tomb. When Jesus hung on the cross on Friday, he said it was finished. And then on Sunday, when that tomb was empty, it was the exclamation mark of grace. It says, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Jesus has come. There's power in the resurrection. And therefore, we get to live a life of power 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 tells us this, that it was by one sacrifice that God has made perfect forever those who sometimes uh, miss their shot. That he's, by one sacrifice made perfect forever those whom he is still making holy. And so, and so Jesus showed up at the golf course with me and he shot a perfect score. And he took his scorecard and you know what he did? He handed it to me and says, now it's yours. Because I'm the God of second chances. I don't know about you, but you know what I need? <laughs> Sometimes I need third and fourth. And fi- some of you are elbowing your husband. Yeah, you too. <laughs> fourth and... I'm like I'm, I'm the guy that needs all kinds of chances, and the only reason I get to experience all kinds of chances in my life is because of Jesus. <laughs> Who's this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? I love how Max Lucado writes it. He says that Jesus was a backwater peasant. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never journeyed more than 200 miles from his hometown. Friends left him, one betrayed him, those he helped forgot him, and prior to his death, they abandoned him. But after his death, they couldn't resist him. What made the difference? His death and his resurrection. People who, who only three days earlier abandoned Jesus. Like they, 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 they weren't even going to stick around for him. They were, they were his fan club for years. And then, and then, and then the Friday came and, and they saw it all end on a cross. And, and so they scattered. They ran. They fled. They abandoned him. But something happened on a Sunday that changed it all. A people who were once scared to follow him would be now willing to die for him. Why? Because the resurrection is real. And our God is a God of second chances. Write this down in your notes if you would. The resurrection is more than a day to celebrate. It's a hinge point in history that has forever changed our world. It has changed everything. Where people would once give up on you, Jesus says, I never will because I'm the God of second chances. Where those closest to you would turn their back on you after you failed again. Jesus says, I will never. I will move heaven and earth for you because I love you. And that's why we're here today. We're here today to come as we are before Jesus with all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our mistakes. And Jesus says, just come as you are. Now I get to look out here and, 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 and man, so many of you all prettied up looking good on Easter. I seen some kids in there like, you, y'all, y'all crazy. <laughs> You spent hours on those children, and they look good. They look good. But how many of you know we kind of try to do the same thing in our relationship with Jesus? It's like, I got to get myself right, then I'll come to you. I got to look real good, and then I'll come to you. Jesus says, what are you talking about? The tomb's empty. The tomb's empty. You come as you are. You come as you are. I'm the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances and beyond. In your Bibles, if you brought them this morning, um, I, I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the PowerPoint or uh, overhead um, that you can follow along in. And I'm going to read this out of the message version. And what I want us to see in these passages is I want us to see us. Okay? Because you're in there. I'm in there. Specifically, there's three people, three people's names that are brought up in this passage of Scripture. Peter is brought up. 
James, the stepbrother of Jesus, is brought up. And then Paul is talking about himself before he became a Christian. He's referring to himself. He's talking about Saul, who he used to be. My, my guess is this this morning. Just like me, I can find a little bit of Peter in me sometimes. I can find a little bit of James in me sometimes. I can even find a little bit of Saul in me sometimes. And I believe if we get real today, if we stop playing church and start being the church, we stop playing church and looking at ourselves for who we are, I think you might be able to find a little bit of yourself in there today too. And if you do, as we go through this, you've got to remember one thing in the back of your mind. Remember this. Say these words with me. He's the God of second chances. Say that. Let's read. Chapter 15, starting in verse 3. says, The first thing I did was placed before you. It was placed emphatically before me. What's he talking about? He's talking about there was a time where, where the gospel was given to me. The message of Jesus, the story of the resurrection, of his crucifixion and his resurrection. It was handed to me, and then I handed it to you. And what was that message? That the Messiah died for our sins. Exactly as scripture tells it. That he was buried. That he was raised from death on the third day. Again, exactly as scripture says that he presented himself alive to Peter and then to his closest followers and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time. And most of them are still around, although a few have died since. That he then spent time with, say it, James. And for the rest of those he commissioned to represent him. And that he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. And then, and then what he's going to do from here, and this is crucial. This is crucial. This is where our faith becomes reality. This is where we move from a hope to, to something that we're assured of. It's the resurrection. He talks about the power and the importance of the empty tomb. Listen in verse 16. He says, and if Christ has not been raised then all of our teaching is useless and your faith is useless. Dropping down to verse 17. And if, Christ, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. If there was no Easter, you're still guilty. If there was no Easter, there was no second chance. If there was no empty tomb, you'd be stuck. And all the things that you're afraid of, all those failures of your past, all the fear of your future, wondering if God, like, you, you, you would be okay to be worried. But, but Paul says something here. He says in verse 19, and if our hope is in Christ, is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. He said, listen, the tomb is empty. So all those things that you're worried about, don't worry. Fear not. You've won. Grace has come. It's the moment. The cross was, was, the, was the promise. But the empty tomb, you know what it was? It was the proof. The promise was, I'm going to die for your sins. The empty tomb was the proof that said, it is finished. And it will always be. Today we celebrate, man. Today isn't just a dress up and feel good uh, pep rally for Christians. It's all right to get it. In fact, we should be excited. But man, that excitement shouldn't be contained on an Easter Sunday only. 
There should be a lifestyle of excitement and thankfulness and passion because the tomb is empty and God, say it with me, is a God of second chances. So he talked about these three people, right? Peter, James, and then he talked about himself. So I want us to look at Peter this morning. We're going to start with him. Let's start with Peter and write this down in your notes if you're following along, that God gives us grace in our failures, and Peter certainly needed it. And so do I. And so do I. Man, I am in such desperate need of God's grace because you know what I do sometimes? (laughs) I miss that shot, and I fail. And I'm so thankful, though, that our God is the God of second chances who sees our failures and declares me forgiven forever, forever. Peter, you, you know Peter. Peter was, um, he was the man. Man, he, he was the one ready to fight. You're going to mess with my Jesus, I'll take you out. I'll never abandon you, Jesus. I will never leave you. Everybody else, Mike. That guy right there will. I won't. And so Peter, who's followed Jesus for three years, Peter, who's seen the miracles, Peter, who even himself declared Jesus to be the Son of God. Peter, on a Thursday night, watched Jesus. And he watched Jesus being brought into the court of the high priest. He watched Jesus blindfolded. He watched Jesus getting spit on and mocked. That Jesus, he saw Jesus getting whipped and beaten. And so when the people said to Peter, hey, that's your Jesus. Peter said, not mine. I don't know him. Peter, Peter's like me. He was, like, it wasn't good enough to fail once. A couple, just a little bit later, hey, that's your Jesus. No, it's not. Failed twice. Hey, that's your Jesus. No, it's not. And then that rooster crowed, just like Jesus said would happen, would happen. Think of Peter. When he heard that crow, don't you think in his heart he thought his failure was forever? That his failure was final. And so Jesus, three days later, the tomb is empty. Hallelujah. It's empty. And so what Jesus does is he, he, he says, hey, go find Peter. I'm going to whoop on him. <laughs> Boy, wait till I get my hands on Peter. It's going to be all day, every day. Beaten. Did, no. No. In Mark chapter 16, verse 7, he says, but go tell his disciples, and that he says, not just go tell his disciples, he says, go tell his disciples, go tell my disciples and Peter. Specifically, hey, go get the fellas, go get the crew, but don't forget to get Peter. Don't forget him. So, so Peter, right, he's sitting at the beach, which as a Hawaiian, I totally get, man. I would, you know, I'm from Hawaii, I get being at the beach. Peter's sitting at the beach, and here comes Jesus. How many of you are ever, or you can remember, because all of us were, how many of you guys can remember um, high school and doing something dumb and watching your dad walk in the driveway? 
How many of you contemplated jumping out the window? So did, right here. And I wonder if that's how Peter felt like, oh. And so Jesus gets there, and he's ready to lay in, or Peter thinks he's ready to lay in, and, and what Jesus said to Peter, he just says, do you love me? What, what, what had that had to feel like for Peter? Where, where judgment should have been appropriate. Judgment should have, all that there was was grace. Grace, grace is like blunt force trauma to our souls. I wonder if Peter was just breathless in that moment. Jesus said again, do you love me? Third time, do you love me? For every mistake, Jesus' response was to draw love out of Peter because Jesus loved Peter first. And his failures weren't final. You would have thought this, right? That the relationship between Peter and Jesus was done, right? It's broken, forever broken, but this is what we know. In every single relationship that we have, when God is in the middle of that relationship, there's always the potential for a second chance. That's true with People in the church who sometimes they, there's friction and there's, oh, I can't stand this person. That person. Some of you are trying not to look at the person I'm talking about right now. <laughs> Took my seat on Easter, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> but when God's in the middle of that relationship, guess what? There's always the potential for a second chance. Parents with your children, sometimes it seems like they'll never come back. You may feel like, man, it, that, that, that's just a broken relationship. Let me, under, let, me, let me help you understand something. When God is in the middle of the relationship, there's always the potential for a second chances. Husbands and wives, hear me. <laughs> when you think it's over, dead, gone, remember the resurrection. Just as Jesus rose again, because he's the center of your marriage, there's the potential for the resurrection of your marriage to say with me, he's the God of second chances. Watch this. The first year of our marriage was fantastic. Uh, we had the big house, Mercedes, BMW, great careers. Everything was going great. Uh, but then the rubber started hitting the road. It, it got very complicated. We had, were blending a family, and uh, the kids were just always fighting. It was one being preferred over the other, and then we'd get against each other, and it was just one circumstance after another that just kept us all upset with each other, and then we had a newborn. We were sleep-deprived, and we weren't 21 anymore, and it was just a lot of things culminating to the point that after two years, um, I decided that I just didn't want to do it anymore, and uh, finances was another issue. We had money, but we couldn't decide how to spend it. He was one way, I was another. There was, I was used to my career, I had my money, his money, and we had just an attitude that, mostly me, I have to say, um, I probably thought, you know, I just didn't need him. I could do it on my own. And um, I hired a lawyer and I got it done. Well, I was devastated. Uh, I thought I was gonna die. And so, uh, I thought the best thing for me to do was to just leave. So I started an advertising agency in Dallas, Texas with a, a couple other guys and uh, I got out of the area. Well, I wasn't expecting that. Um, I 
kind of wanted to have him around, but when he made the decision to go, there was nothing I could do about it. And so I just uh, took my stubborn self and decided I can do this. I'm going to be a mom of these three kids and I'm going to handle it all on my own. And so I proceeded to stay working and being a single mom. And I remember this one particular night, um, I put the children to bed and I was in my room. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I was crying all the time. I was surfing television and uh, this man was speaking. He was actually giving a sermon. He was this tall, slender man and I didn't know him. And uh, whatever he was saying, I don't even recall the sermon, but it really moved my heart. And a repentance came in my heart that was so devastating that I just totally broke. And uh, I remember that night just repenting and repenting and asking God to forgive me. And that night he gave me a peace that I had a resolve that I, I was going to go forward with God, whether Jim ever came back to me or not. It's, uh, it's funny. Uh, yes, I was engaged. Uh, I kept putting the date back and trying to think of, you know, can I go through with this? Uh, I did love the other person, but I was in love with Lisa. And, you know, I, I, anyway. I um, decided to break it off. I just, uh, I, I couldn't go through with it. So uh, w within a couple weeks, I got the guts to uh, call Lisa and I, it was a Saturday night and uh, I, when I called, she answered the phone and I asked her, what are you doing the rest of your life? Oh, actually, what are you doing tonight? And she was cooking dinner for the kids and I, I said, no, what are you doing the rest of your life? I told him, well, I, I want you to move back. I want to reconcile with you, but here's the thing. You can't move back into the house. If you come back, you're going to have to get your own place. And if we reconcile this time, we're going to do it God's way. And he was totally on board with that. So I moved back to Nashville and got an apartment. And Lisa and I dated and we went to counseling for a year. We really courted me, and we would, we'd have special dates, and, and we didn't have a physical relationship. And that was really hard, and it was very unique because we'd been married for two years before, but we knew it was right. We became committed to putting God first. Um, yeah. It, as a couple and also as individuals. So it, we, we matured. Um, we got some things behind us, and then we remarried in 1997. Uh, shortly after that, uh, in 1999, we moved to the Lake Norman area to Davison. And it was funny, we didn't know where we were going to go to church, and Jim came home one day and go, I think I found our church. We went the, the following Sunday, and uh, I'll never forget that, because I walked in the door, and there was a poster in the foyer, <laughs> and there was a tall, slender man, a picture of him the man that I'd seen on TV that night when I was so desperate. And it was Jack Hayford. But it just proved to me one more time that God is so faithful. I couldn't have planned that. I had no way of knowing. And that no matter how far off track we get, God will always welcome us back. He used Jack Hayford to get me back on track. And he is the God of second chances. Our lives haven't been without challenge, uh, neither our marriage, but 
our faith is what we always fall back on. Um, God always sees us through. He always provides for us. And I'm just so happy that he gave me a second chance with my sweetheart. good is that? God is a God of second chances. I'm not going to lie, when she was talking about that tall, slender man, I thought she was talking about me. (laughs) It wasn't. Say it with me. Our God is a God of second chances. He sees our failures and he forgives. This is the second thing he does. Remember we talked about another person, talked about James. James was his stepbrother, his half-brother. And James was full of doubt. Write this down for number two. God gives us proof for our doubts and unbelief. I, I, I did a lot of um, intense research on um, James, um, getting back to the original Greek language and discovering more about James, and I found this out this week. James is from Missouri. You'll learn something new every Sunday here at Grace Covenant East Lincoln. <laughs> James, James is from Missouri. You know why? Why? The show me state. You got to show me. James who, James who grew up with Jesus, saw all that Jesus did. James suffered with doubt. James suffered with doubt. And then when everything seemed like it fell apart that Friday, James was running just with the rest of the group. I'm gone. I've had a little bit of Peter in me. I've had a failure or two or three, four. I've also had a little bit of James in me. What about you? Have you ever doubted, is God, is, is, is God the God that people make him out to be? Because I don't see it working in my life in this moment. You ever been there? I I see things falling apart. I see things not right. And and I keep hearing about this God of love. Shoot, I keep hearing about this guy up here on the stage. Keep saying that God's a God of second chances. But where's he at right now? You, you, You would think that, you would think that if we doubted God, he'd have a different reaction than grace. It's just you're going to say amen to this. I'm glad I'm not God. Maybe, maybe I'll make it. You're glad I'm not God. <laughs> because I'd be like, I got to prove what to you? <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> right? <laughs> You'd be that way too, right? Don't act like, okay, you just lied. You're looking at me like I'm the only one that would do that. Okay. But, but God says in your doubt, there's still love because I'm the God of second chances. I'm the God that still loves you and pursues you. James was one of those fair-weathered fans, you might say, right? Jesus had to prove that he was the victor before he followed. You know, two years ago, Golden State Warriors, they won the the NBA championship. All of a sudden, every single person and their auntie were Golden State Warrior fans. You know how many Golden State Warrior fans there were three years ago? There were five, and it was each of the players' moms. That was it. That was the entire family. But when they proved themselves, right, now everybody, sometimes we see that with Jesus, right? He's got to prove himself victorious, and then I'll become your fan again. And, and, and when I've done that, 
and I feel like he should turn his back on me because that's what I deserve. How dare I doubt him? You know what he proves himself to be? Say with me, the God of second chances. Peter failed. James doubted. Then there was Saul. Saul was deceived. Write this down, number three in your notes, if you would, this morning. God pursues us in our deception. God pursues us in our deception. Man, there's times in my life I've been deceived. When you look, when you look at Saul, now he was the one that killed Christians in the early days of, of Christianity. When he was persecuting the church, trying to stamp them out. What that came out of was a, a misplaced, uh, passionate religiosity that he had that, that, that demonstrated itself in a bad way. He was deceived. Now, my deception wasn't like that. His was a misplaced, passionate religiosity. Mine sometimes is a misguided, passive religiosity. That that I can get deceived by this, that I can just keep Jesus in his box over here. I got a box for work. I got a box for school. I I totally got a box for golf right there. I've got a golf for my kids. I mean, I have a box for my kids. I've got a box. And then I got a box for Jesus. And Jesus stays in this box and he stays right there. And all the boxes don't touch one another. Jesus has to stay in this box. And and I'm deceived enough to believe that I only have to pull out Jesus at certain times. Easter's a good one. Come on. Oh, I'm in trouble. Come on. But Jesus is being confined in my mind, because I'm deceived, I'm confining Jesus to a box. Listen to me, people. Listen to me. If the tomb couldn't confine him, your box can't confine him. If the tomb couldn't hold him back, your box can't hold him back. He isn't the Lord of part. He's the Lord of all. And here's the beauty. Here's the scandal of grace. Here's the beauty of the resurrection, is that he's not content to have just a part of your life. And maybe the enemy has tried to deceive you and tried to keep you believing that you could just compartmentalize Jesus. How crazy are we for that? I mean, how crazy can we be for that? Listen, he is the risen son of God. All authority, all power, all might is his. It's by his power he holds creation intact. And he loves you. His heart is for you. What is wrong with me when I try to keep him in a box? Why would I not want him in every area of my life? Because I don't know about you, but I know about me. Every area of my life needs second chances. Every area of my life needs third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Come on now. Am I preaching to somebody? And I know this. This is what I know. Gosh, we're so we're so narrow in our vision. We see we don't see the full picture. I promise you, there are some of you in here this morning that think that you just kind of made the decision to come to church today. And by chance you're here. Some of you just think, well, somebody invited me, so that's why I'm here. That's deception. You're here because the Holy Spirit has drawn you here because he wants to speak to you. 
Here's a word I believe is from the Lord. I believe that there's individuals. You've had stuff happen to you, not just this week, but the last couple of weeks. Little signs, little things happening here and there. And, and, and you know that God's been pursuing you. It's not coincidence. Why? Because God wants to reveal himself to you this morning as the God of second chances, as the resurrected king who will never leave you, never forsake you, never abandon you. You are his. His. we can freely come to him because of this say it with me one last time because he is the close your eyes if you would this morning as we spoke this morning hey I saw myself in all three of those people I saw myself in Peter I saw myself in James and I saw myself in Saul and I'd ask you right now just to take one quick moment the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to see if you see yourself there as well. If there's an area of your life that you've lived, you are living or have lived the same way, take that moment now with Him. question I'm about to ask, there will never be a more important question that you will ever be asked. It, it, this is it. This is it. This is the biggest one that could ever be asked of you. And it's the answer you have to reconcile for yourself. you got to get this one. Because I believe that some of you lived a life or are living a life like I did. Man, I ran from God as hard and as fast as I could and did everything I could party, violent. You just talk about all of it, man. I was a mess. Until one day when I was 25 years old, someone asked me the question that, to me that I'm going to ask to you. And the question was this, do you believe in Jesus and do you want to give your life to him? And that moment that I did, it changed everything. It changed my past, it changed my present, and it changed my future. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you the question that changed my life. It's going to change your eternity. The question here is this. Do you know Jesus? It's not a story. It's reality. It's not fiction. It's fact. He is the risen son of God. And it's by faith in him and only in him. Can you ever be with him? Listen. The world tries to tell you, oh, you know what? You can believe this. You can believe the other thing. You can work hard. Hey, just be good. No, you ain't ever going to be good enough. And there's no saving faith anywhere else except for the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. It's only there where salvation is found. Only, only, only. And if you have never just said, Jesus, I need that. I need you. I need you now. I need you to be my God. And I need you to be the God of second chances. I'm going to count to three. And if you have not accepted him, man, don't, don't, listen, don't get out of here until you do. It's on the count of three. If you want that for yourself, you want that for your family, you want that for your life, raise your hand. One, two, three. Amen. 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 Lord, I join my friends here this morning, God. And confessing this, that I'm a sinner. 
I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'd ask those of you that raised your hand to pray this with me right now. In fact, everybody pray with me right now. If you would, Jesus, I believe in you. I know your word to be true. I know who I am. I have failed. I have sinned. And I've done it against you. And I stand here today believing that you are who you say you are. And today I put my faith in you. I put my life in your hands. From this day forward, I am yours and you are mine. Change me. Shape me. Make me into whatever you want for me. I give you my life my future and all that I have and all God's people said for more information on Grace Covenant Church our service times ministry opportunities directions and more visit us at gracecovenant.org